The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about something that is on everybody's mind, pretty much. Um, The flight that went down, the German wings flight that went down over France. Um, commandeered by the co-pilot Andreas Lubitz and so today I'm going to be putting co-pilot Andreas Lubitz on my couch now are you as frustrated as I am in regard to all the uh, contradictory statements that are being um, said by people mostly people from Lufthansa um, you know investigators as well but it certainly seems like the CEO of Lufthansa has mastered doublespeak. <laughs> um, you know, there are all different reports coming out, some contradicting the others, trying to say for a long time, of course, he was trying to say that he knew nothing about any kind of history of depression uh, in the co-pilot. And, of course, today it's coming out, uh, as it had by, from other people in the past days, um, that, in fact, they did know. You know, in 2009, when um, Andreas had his bout with depression in which he was diagnosed with suicidal tendencies, quote-unquote, he apparently, uh, it's now, now it's come out, he, has, he did send uh, Lufthansa an email um, uh, saying that he had been treated for um, a depressive episode, but that he was better. Now, supposedly... Um, he had uh, not only a physical exam, but a psychiatric exam of some sort. We don't know exactly the details of that. Before he was hired by Lufthansa, I mean, this depressive episode, which has been described as being anywhere from 3 to 18 months, and there is a big difference in people who have depressive episodes for 3 versus 18 months. Um, but the the... The idea is that that apparently he had some kind of an exam that then found him fit to fly. <laughs> um, you know, was this a cursory exam or uh, by a doctor who isn't a psychiatrist? Was it, I mean, there was some report saying that it was done by some German organization, um, which is tops in its field as far as uh, psychological evaluations you know, we don't really know uh, definitively. Well, one thing we do know, that whoever did it made a big mistake. And there are 149 families, well, actually 150, counting uh, Andreas's family, who would agree that they made a big, big mistake. It was not only a red flag 
that he was diagnosed with depression and suicidal tendencies and also uh, burnout and also an inability to cope with pressure during this episode of three to 18 months. Um, all things that a pilot needs to be able to um, be free of, you know, what, what, what job has more pressure? I mean, there are, there are jobs that have equal pressure or, or maybe perhaps some more pressure, but certainly a pilot, that is a very, very high-pressure job. Uh, duh. Um, so someone who can't deal with pressure should not be in the pilot or co-pilot seat. And so um, apparently even Lufthansa has said that um, although he did pass this test before he was hired um, with flying colors, he was fit to fly, they admit or have admitted that uh, there wasn't any kind of um, repeat exam every six to 12 months. There were physical exams that pilots and co-pilots had to take, but not an extensive psychological exam. Well, you know, hopefully this uh, incident, as tragic as it is, um, will have the positive effect of making airlines in every country be more um, careful about exams, not just physical exams, but psychiatric exams. Now, I'm coming at this story. I've done a lot of research on this story, and I've, I've uh, done some interviews on this story, and I, it's fascinating to me for so many different reasons. At one of them is that I, as a, in my capacity as a psychiatric expert witness, I have actually dealt with cases which involved a pilot and his mental health. So, um, So this is, you know... The problem is that there aren't as many jobs that where one person or two people um, are responsible for the lives of so many people, all the people in the airplane. So it's not like, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I know there's the issue of not, not discriminating against the mentally ill, and certainly as a psychiatrist, I don't believe that we should discriminate against the mentally ill. Um, and there are various levels of depression where some are just garden variety sadness on one extreme. And on the other extreme, we have psychotic depression, which is either major depression or uh, manic depression. So, and we don't know exactly yet, and I don't know if we ever will, but, um, you know, obviously Lufthansa is protecting itself. There are, there are going to be, you know, lawsuits probably from each of the passengers. They're already putting aside a lot of money um, to pay for this, but there may well be passengers who want more than what um, Lufthansa decides is fair to give each family of each passenger. So um, they are, you know, their number one uh, goal in, since this happened has been to protect themselves. And in fact, today there is um, a, a website that was set up on Facebook in German by um, Andreas's friends uh, in Germany. It's, it's called um, Andreas Lubitz A320. That's the plane. We are against the hunt. Now, these people who have signed up on this website believe that Andreas was framed, that this is a cover-up, that in fact 
um, the airline, the airplane, which was a plane flying in its um, economy, German Wings is an, is an economy division of Lufthansa. Uh, so some people believe that um, the plane wasn't as well taken care of or wasn't as good in the first place or, um, you know, wasn't as, as carefully inspected, whatever it is, that there was a problem with the plane and that Lufthansa is trying to hide these mechanical difficulties. And they cite as some reasons for why they think it's a, a cover-up um, is that the black box recorder, voice recorder, that was found at the crash site, they believe it's been tampered with. They're also saying that so far a second data recorder box hasn't been found yet, which I think is true, at least as of the last time I looked which doesn't mean that it's a uh, cover-up. It just means it hasn't been found yet. It's quite a devastating crash site. Um, and so, you know, the real reason, though, they, they're saying, I believe in the innocence of Andy. You know, the, the, the real uh, um, issue is that friends and family of, of Andy don't want to believe that he could have been capable of this, of course. And I don't, you know, could it have been a cover? Could it have been a conspiracy? Could it be a cover-up? I guess I don't think so, really, because there are so many things in um, Andreas's background that could explain why he committed suicide. And we're going to be talking about these today. Um, you know, unless you, you'd have to say that the airline specifically chose. Well, no, I guess you couldn't even say that because. They wouldn't have wanted a plane to to fail, but I mean, I mean, they would have had to have been very lucky that um, if this plane failed, crashed because of mechanical issues, that it just so happened that there was a co-pilot who had uh, had been had documented suicidal tendencies. I mean, that is just too much of a coincidence to be believable that they would have been um, that it would have just been Lufthansa's luck that um, they, they could blame it, that it would seem reasonable to blame it on the co-pilot. So um, let's talk about Now, here's the thing. Um, in order to really understand what caused, assuming that these conspiracy theories aren't true, um, what do we have to look for to know what was going through the mind of the co-pilot? Well, for anything, in, in any kind of situation, to know what was really going through someone's mind, you have to start with childhood. I mean, we're going to talk about some of the things that happened more recently with his girlfriend, and apparently he had, he had had a mistress, and there he was um, supposedly there. There are reports that right before the crash, he was um, trawling um, gay porn sites and suicide sites, and so on. So, I mean, there's there's no shortage of. Um, of uh, sensational kinds of issues that are coming up in regard to this crash, but um, but to look but before all of that, you know the the real seeds for why anyone does anything, particularly something like committing suicide, starts with childhood. So the problem is that we know very little about Andreas's childhood. We know that he um, grew up with his parents and um, his younger brother in a town in Germany. Um, he, he, they lived, you've probably seen photos of the house that they lived in. It was a $500,000 euro house, which is over half a million dollars, a nice-looking house. 
Um, you may also have seen photos of the apartment that he shared with his girlfriend in Dusseldorf. And that looks like a very lovely, um, luxurious kind of apartment as well. So, okay, so what did he have to complain about, right? Why was he committing suicide? Well, looking, looking at the things that we, the bare bones that we do know about his childhood, we know that his father was a successful businessman. And his mother was a piano teacher who also played organ in churches. And as I said, he had a younger brother. So one can surmise from that that it is likely that Andreas had to struggle for attention, struggle for attention from his father, who as a successful businessman might have been a workaholic or at the very least was a very busy man. Um, he had to compete for attention with his mother, who was teaching, uh, presumably, other children uh, piano. And, of course, just like any sibling rivalry, when one sibling has, when a younger sibling is born, there's sibling rivalry because you are competing with now this new sibling um, for your parents' attention. So, what's the significance of all that? The significance of that is that there have been reports from his well, they were, they were calling him his ex-girlfriend. Now, of course, it's coming out. They're calling her his mistress because he was living with his fiance at the time that he had this relationship. Um, she apparently was saying that he told her that um, he was going to do something that would change the system and would make everybody remember his name, and um, he would go down in history. So what does that mean, that he, he was looking for attention? He was looking to do something that would get him attention. So, you know, there we go in terms of why somebody would commit suicide um, just by, you know, hanging themselves in their closet or going into the garage and, and um, ha- killing themselves by carbon monoxide. Um, why would they do something where they take down a whole airplane full of people? And that is, you know, the most likely answer, that he wanted to go down in history, he wanted attention, he wanted to do something on a grand scale, he wanted to take other people with him. And oftentimes that kind of suicide um, relates to wanting to make somebody sorry. And in this case, it could well have been his girlfriend, who, according to some reports, although she was, um, she is pregnant, um, they were having breakup problems, and I'm going to go into that in a little while. Um, so did he want to make her sorry, make her feel guilty that his, her breakup with him caused him to be suicidal and to take down all these people? Um, also, uh, obviously this is not every pilot, or, or none of us would be safe when, we were, when we're flying, and of course that's one of the issues I'm sure everybody is kind of thinking about that now, like how do you know when you get on a plane that your pilot or co-pilot isn't suicidal? Um, and of course in the States there are rules there where there has to always be two people in the cockpit. So for example, in this plane, um, when the pilot went to the bathroom, if they had had the same rules, there would have been a, um, a someone from the personnel of the plane who would have come into the cockpit. Cockpit, but would that have stopped? You know, if it was someone who didn't know how to fly a plane, if it was a steward, uh, cabin crew, um, you know, would they have been able to do anything, even if the co-pilot uh, did? Um, start to crash the plane. I mean, I guess they could have perhaps opened up the door, but, um, you know, the co-pilot could have 
could have done something to put them out of commission. But in any case, sometimes, for some people, uh, the reason why some people decide that they want to be a pilot when they're a young child, uh, like Andreas did, um, is because they want to fly away, you know, to escape things that are going on in their home or in their school, things like abuse, uh, bullying. There's the fantasy, if I could just fly away from all of this. So, of course, we don't know what that might have been uh, if it was, in fact, the case in Andreas's life, childhood. So, um, but we do know, getting back to his having taken a break from his training, we do know um, that that was for depression, burnout, and inability to cope with pressure, and, um, and that he wasn't carefully enough screened after that, despite the fact that they knew. Now, this idea of discriminating against the mentally ill, um, should anybody who ever was depressed in any form, you know, any the mildest form to the most severe form, should any of them or all of them be banned from being pilots? Well, in my mind, um, perhaps not for the garden variety type if they're, if they're carefully monitored, but um, certainly somebody with extreme depression, psychotic depression or manic depression, should not be a pilot. Um, you know, they wouldn't be able to pass... Um, they wouldn't be able to pass the tests every six months. I mean, theoretically, um, there is treatment for that, and one can certainly function in society. But do we want people with these kinds of um, potential potential fragility uh, to be pilots, where the lives of so many people hang in the balance? And I think... Um, I think the answer is that the greater good has to trump the needs of the individual with these problems. I mean, there are, there are people who, who have had psychotic depression, major depression or manic depression, who go on to, who go on to fulfill um, incredible lives, very important lives. I had a professor, um, when I trained in psychiatry at Bellevue, there was a professor who was the most brilliant professor, and he was manic-depressive. Um, you know, being treated, of course, but that see that's where the whole system falls apart, because the way things are, the airlines depend upon the pilots to self-report how they're feeling, to self-report um, whether they are having, currently having, or recently having suicidal tendencies, and that's where the whole situation totally falls apart, because someone is who is suicidal is unlikely, unless they just want to commit a suicidal gesture, they're unlikely to report that they're feeling suicidal because they know that then um, someone would intervene to stop them from, from piloting a plane, as well should, should happen. So we do need to take a break now. When we come back, there will be more. We are putting um, co-pilot Andreas Lubitz on the couch, on my couch, on Dr. Carol's couch. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, today putting co-pilot Andreas Lubitz on, on my couch. And um, we were talking before the break about, well, about the suicidal tendencies and depression and so on. One of the things that's really fascinating about this case is that the photo that Andreas had on his Facebook page uh, before they took down his Facebook page, but now it's, you know, all over the place, um, is the picture of him in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, he did some of his training in America, in Arizona, actually, to be a pilot. And um, some reports have said that, in a, that at the training in Arizona, they said that he was not fit to fly. So, but it's unclear whether that's where he had his three to eighteen months depressive, depressive period, or whether it was in Germany or or what. But um, but anyway, uh, so at, at presumably at, at that time he or he, he went to uh, uh, San Francisco and had this picture taken at the Golden Gate Bridge, or perhaps some other time at some point in his life he had this picture taken. And when we look at it now, in retrospect, I mean, knowing what went, what happened. Um, you have to realize that that's not just a pretty picture or not just showing off that he was in America. Um, the Golden Gate Bridge is famous for all of the people who have jumped off of it, who have suicided. And was he conveying consciously or unconsciously a message to everybody who saw that picture? I don't think it was a coincidence that he he picked that picture to be his main Facebook picture. There was also a picture on his Facebook page um, of Times Square, which is kind of interesting too, thinking about it, because it was all the lights. It was the uh, the theaters, the lights of the of the theaters at Times Square and the buildings and so on. And that kind of goes along with what I was talking about earlier: his desire for attention, his name to be up in lights. So, um, you know, what, what one would do in, um, in asking and trying to find out if someone is suicidal, I mean, the questions that a, that a psychiatrist would ask would be um, whether you have a family history of suicide, because people who have a family history, someone in their family who committed suicide, are more likely to commit suicide themselves. You, then you ask, you know, there's a whole sort of continuum. Then you ask, have you ever thought of committing suicide? How would you do it? Um, have you ever made a plan? And you ask the person to go into detail about the plan. Um, 
then have you ever attempted suicide? And then you evaluate the seriousness of their attempt. Was it just a suicidal gesture where, for example, they take some aspirin and they empty the bottle of, of aspirin, they put some aspirin on the floor and they lay on the floor and they go to sleep? <laughs> um, and or they take, you know, enough aspirin or enough of something to um, make them unconscious, but they know that somebody's going to be coming home within the next hour and that they'll be saved. So that would be considered an example of a suicidal gesture, a cry for help. Then, of course, there are some suicide attempts that are a lot more serious where the person is unlikely to be found or um, where you know they, they whatever the method is of suicide it's it's something that's more lethal than other methods and um you know if as a psychiatrist is, is going through all these questions and asking all these different things um then you know the 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 ultimate question to be determined is does this person how how uh, imminently suicidal is this person and do i need to call an ambulance or drive them to um, the nearest psychiatric emergency room or call their family and have them drive them to the nearest psychiatric emergency room. So now, of course, if a pilot or anyone is intent on lying, <laughs> intent on, on hiding their suicidal tendencies uh, or thoughts at the time or plans at the time, of course they can keep saying no. But you know, no, I don't have any plans. No, I would never, I would never, oh, you know, I'd never commit suicide. My religion is against it, or um, I wouldn't want to hurt my family. You know, of course, there are all these things that people can say to sort of um, make the uh, psychiatrist or whoever is asking the questions believe that they have no intention of doing it. But psychiatrists are trained to, um, to know when a person is lying um, or to ask more questions or to get a, more of a history or find out about more that's happening in the person's life and to, to decide to figure out whether the person is lying or not. Now, the problem is when you have someone asking a cursor, doing a cursory kind of exam um, and they're not a psychiatrist, you know, they're an internist, for example, they're not trained in picking up cues, um, nonverbal cues, um, and asking, probe, knowing what questions to probe for to show that the person is, is not telling the entire truth. So this, these are the kinds of things that, that airlines need to start having happen um, so that tragedies like this don't keep happening. Now, some other issues. Um, it's ironic that, uh, that Andreas was apparently an avid marathon runner. I'm sure you've seen the photos of him in his marathon gear. And apparently his father... Um, at least ran uh, one marathon with him and possibly more. So, you know, he, and he apparently went and, and would get things at health food stores. So what could that point to? Um, you know, that, that would seem to indicate someone who would be the least likely to kill themselves if they're trying to keep themselves healthy with all this, you know, all these health food products and running marathons. Um, but, you know, then there are these reports, and again, self-contradictory reports of all different kinds, um, but the possibility that he had a psychosomatic illness, of, and, and then reports came about that maybe it was his eye, eye problems, um, a detached retina or some kind of eye problem. Well, you know, it is true 
that anybody um, can, you don't have to have mental illness, anybody. Like, for example, if you've developed um, the flu or a cold um, or backache or some kind of or headache, um, some gastrointestinal upset, upset, stomach upset, um, it, it, we all know that we get, tend to get these kinds of problems when we're stressed. So anxiety or depression can manifest itself in physical problems. Now, there can be more than this kind of garden variety when you're stressed, you get a headache kind of thing, or you get um, a pain in the pit of your stomach when you're feeling anxious. You know, th- those are those are there's something abnormal about that. Those are typical things that people get. It's just a physiological reaction to emotions. But then there are people, the next step up from that is people who um, manifest more specifically or more uh, severely problems, physical problems, um, as a manifestation of depression or anxiety. Like, for example, people who may not seem depressed on the outside because instead they have some kind of physical problem that is the manifestation um, that's taking the place of them seeming depressed. And so you then look for metaphors, things, what the person's illness, physical illness seems to be, and what that could be saying about their psychological issues. So with Andreas, for example, um, if he had, as, as numerous reports are saying, if he had some kind of eye, of course others refute this, so again, um, we're just dealing with what we have here, the, the, the information that we have. Um, but for the, the reports that are talking about his diminishing eyesight, and he was very upset about that because he, he had dreamt all his life to be a pilot, and he was terrified that his his dream was going to be ruined if he you know if he if his eyesight um, was uh, too diminished. Obviously, he couldn't be a pilot. So so he was. Um, according to some reports, very worried about that. And in fact, some people say, have said that that's why he killed himself, because, um, because he didn't want to lose his dream. You know, he had finally gotten to be a pilot or co-pilot, and he didn't want to lose his dream. So, um, so that was why he killed himself. But that doesn't totally explain his taking down, you know, a plane with 149-plus him passengers on board. Um, that could he if it was just about that it could well have he could well or would more likely have done something quiet um, to commit suicide. So um, then, of course, there's another interesting uh, aspect to this is how well. First of all, when he when he was in the, the plane was. Um, Oh, almost a half an hour, around a half an hour late, and I have not seen any reports explaining why it was a half an hour late. But um, what's key about that is that, first of all, the pilot, not not Andreas, but the pilot, apologized to people for the plane taking off late. And then he said to Andreas, according to the flight recorder, um, that he had words to this effect, that he had to go to the bathroom because he hadn't had a chance to go because of something to do with the plane, you know, maybe he was late to the airport. I don't, I don't know that. Um, 
But in any case, that's why he had to get up in the middle of the flight to go to the bathroom, because he apparently didn't have time to do that before the plane took off. So, which is kind of, if you think about it, I mean, if whatever happened to make the plane take off late or whatever happened to make him not be able to go to the bathroom before he got on the plane, if he had gone to the bathroom, um, Andreas would not have had the opportunity, at least not on this flight, um, to crash the plane. I mean, you know, things like that in life, um, how, the, how things that seem so minor and unimportant um, can change the fate of your life. You know, for those people and those families who are related to um, the people, the passengers on that, on that plane, I mean, all of their lives have been changed, and it could be because there was a traffic jam going to the airport. It's just staggering to think about the things going on in our own lives that make a difference. I mean, you can, you know, an easy example is people getting into a traffic accident, and if they had left home five minutes later, they wouldn't have been in that spot. Um, so it just it just makes you think. So, um, but when when the pilot was um, talking about the landing of the plane, um, according to the voice recorder. Andreas was saying something like, um, uh, well, one of the things he said is, we'll see. Like he was very iffy about the landing. So clearly he was planning. I mean, he couldn't have known that the pilot was definitely going to go to the bathroom, but um, he was clearly planning if there was an opportunity that he was going to crash this plane. Because one of the things he said to the pilot is, we'll see, which is kind of interesting when you think about the fact that he uh, perhaps had uh, or was thinking that he had uh, eye problems that would have curtailed his career as a pilot. Now, if you have psychosomatic uh, eye problems or any kind of problems, they are treatable. Um, and he was apparently getting treatment, uh, again, with all these varying reports. Lots of reports have said that he was being treated for a psychosomatic illness. And, um, you know, that in itself the fact that so many days later we're all still asking these questions. They, they said that they found notes um, saying that he was not fit to fly or, or excusing him from flying sick notes. You know, the notes you bring to school or you give to your employer for why you can't go to work that day. Um, and he tore them up or at least tore up the one that related to that day. Um, so there had to be doctors' names on these notes so it's not like the authorities don't know which doctors to ask about all these questions, and yet we're still getting muddled reports, um, which does not make any sense if, since, they, since you know, the doctors would have known what they were treating them for and now called upon by these authorities to tell the story, the truth about what was going on, um, one would hope that they would be doing just that. Um, so, so anyhow, but, but I did want to make the point that, that if you have a psychosomatic illness, like, it is possible to treat it and, and cure it. And it's a combination of both treating the medical problem and treating the psychological problem with psychotherapy. And perhaps, well, he, for example, antidepressants were found in his house, in, his, in both his home with his parents and his apartment with his girlfriend, and apparently a bunch of other pills that we don't know the names of. Um, but, but it is, I do want to make it clear that if whatever psychosomatic problems you may have or you know someone who may have, these things are treatable. 
But it also is possible that Andreas thought that whatever was wrong with his um, eyes was was not going to be treatable or not sufficiently treatable, and that he would have still lost his dream career of being a pilot. So now, um, once the once the uh, once he locked the door, and of course we hear the you know the, the flight recorder has the voice of the of the pilot knocking on the door furiously and screaming to the um, co-pilot and so on, trying to you know open this goddamn door, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, and it's unclear how many minutes he had, but at some point it might well have been a good idea to call out into the plane, is there a doctor in the plane? Is there a mental health professional in the plane? I mean, I've been on planes before where I've had to help people when they call out, is there a doctor in the plane? Um you know, perhaps there would have been somebody, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, somebody on the plane who would have been able to talk Andreas down, who would have been able to try to get through to him. I mean, obviously the door wasn't going to open, although I, I guess the pilot was still hoping, of course, until the end. But, um, but another way, if there had been enough time, another way to go about it would have been to try to talk Andreas down and to... Um, to see whether you could reach him. Now, what's, what's fascinating is how they can hear on the voice recorder that his um, breathing was regular, was normal. Now, can you, you know, what does that tell you? What that tells you is that he was calmly determined to commit suicide and bring the plane down um, with all of the passengers as well. I mean, it wasn't something that he was conflicted about, debating with himself about. Um, he was he was sitting there calmly determined. And, and as I said, he he's knew from the beginning, at least from the time that he got on the plane, when the well, it was partly through the pl- flight that the captain was talking about the landing, and that he didn't seem really concerned about it because he knew what he was planning to do. But. Um, you know, but that is not easy to sit there when you know the plane is going down and have calm, regular respiration unless you've already determined this, thought this through, and were sure that this is what you wanted to do. Um, what else can we talk about? There's so much. Well, I want to talk about his girlfriend and um, her pregnancy and their relationship and so on. That That's um, very very interesting as well. And since I'm getting a signal that we have to take a break, we'll have to save those interesting tidbits for later. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. 
Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com. How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in the business of living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today I'm putting uh, Andreas Lubitz on my couch, co-pilot of the plane that went down over France, incredible tragedy, trying to understand his psyche, trying to um, find uh, the positives from all of this or the lessons from all of this that we can use to try to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen in the future. Um, clearly, uh, people who want to be pilots need to be more carefully screened. People who are pilots need to be continuing, continuously carefully screened. Um, just because you know all kinds of things can happen in somebody's life that um, makes them have a breakdown or makes them become suicidal, um, whereas they might have been feeling fine before. But in a, in the case of Andreas. Um, he already had he already had to stop his training uh, because of a period of three to eighteen months where he was feeling had he was described as having suicidal tendencies and feeling severely depressed, burned out, and unable to cope with pressure, which of course, as he became a pilot, um, he would have had more trouble doing i mean there would have been more pressure um, flying actually you know working as a pilot. Um, I was talking before about psychosomatic illnesses, and I, I was starting to say about how there's a metaphor. You have to interpret the illness um, and see it as a metaphor. So he, he had or is reported to have had psychosomatic eye problems. So you have to look at what it was that he didn't want to see. What was going on in his life? Why, did his, why was his eyesight clouded? Some reports say that he lost 30% of his eyesight. Why, why would that be? What's the psychological metaphor for that? And so there, there are a number of things that one could speculate. Again, it's speculation because we don't know enough facts. But we do know, for example, that he had a girlfriend um, who was... Um, by all accounts, a lovely um, blonde teacher, um, sweet girl, who um, he uh, who told her students uh, that she was going to that she was going to become a mom. She was 
apparently at the time, at least at the time, she was happy about that. Um, but, but closer to the time of this crash, um, they were having, well, they had been having problems in their, in their relationship. And, um, these problems seem to have been coming to a head. Um, she, so is that what he didn't want to see? Did he not want to see that the relationship was, was failing? Um, was ending. There's a story about how he bought two Audis, two cars, and um, the girlfriend uh, didn't want to receive hers. She wouldn't. She wouldn't take it. She, you know, wasn't agreeing to to take his gift because she was planning to break up with him. And there are reports that she was, uh, even though she was still living with him at the time of this crash, um, she had started looking for an apartment of her own. Now, obviously, you know, a woman, a girlfriend who is pregnant does not want to start looking for an apartment of her own, um, you know, does not want the relationship to end unless there's something really, um, you know, there are real serious problems. And apparently, um, he he was, um, her name was Catherine Goldbach, she was 26, the pilot has been reported as 27 or 28, Um she said that um, she, that he, she described him as having increasingly erratic and controlling behavior, which made her fearful for her own safety during his rages. Um, he told her people have said that he told her what to wear. He told her what men she could speak to. He told her how long her skirts could be. He, he was a control freak of the highest order, one of their friends said. Another friend said she was, uh, that this, the girlfriend said that he was very kind and attentive, but that he had problems with mood swings, and she became more fearful. And so apparently there was a break uh, some weeks before the, he crashed the plane. And um, that's when he, you know, spent his money buying the two uh, Audi cars, and um, only one was delivered five days before the crash. So, and then we have, <laughs> then we have a pizza parlor owner getting into it. Um, he said that uh, Andreas's obsessiveness and, and controlling ways even extended to uh, his pizzas. <laughs> he would only he would order. Not what was on the menu of this pizza joint, but he would only have or demand to have pizzas with paprika, ham, onion, and broccoli. That combination, which sounds pretty sickening to me, paprika, ham, onion, and broccoli. Yeah, it must have been his stomach ache that caused him to uh, want to kill himself. I, I know, this isn't funny, and I don't, I mean, it's kind of, it's gallows humor. But in any case, and then, of course, um, there was the, the story of his betraying his uh, live-in girlfriend. They, they had met when they were high school students working at a, a fast food place, and, um, and they were living together, according to some reports, for four years. So it was a serious relationship. But during that time, he had an affair. He had, reportedly, a five-month affair, with a German wing stewardess, of course, and um, they would have sex in cheap hotels where they would stay while they were working. And this woman said um, 
that he demanded constant attention because he was very insecure, and he always wanted reassurance about the way that he looked and the way that other people saw him. She called him a tormented and erratic man who would wake up from nightmares screaming, we're going down, we're going down, you know, which, which speaks to his fear of acting on his impulses to take the plane down. Uh, she is the one um, who, who said, he once told me he would do something to change the whole system, that the world would know his name and remember him. So, um, and then, of course, we have um, these, you know, the, the, the news that's come out uh, as they've been looking at his computer. You have to be very careful what you look at in your computer. Even when you delete things, Apparently, they can still be found. Your history can still be found. So, um, for example, they uh, found that that uh, before the plane crash, he um, days before he trawled gay porn sites and um, and websites related to suicide. And then, um, according to the Daily Mail, he was nicknamed Tomato Andy. And that that is a gay slur um, that has to do with, let me get the exact, where did that go? Um, it had to do with uh, people thinking that a tomato is a vegetable, but actually it's a fruit. And so, um, so and he worked as a, as a uh, flight personnel, a steward, before he became... Uh, while he was still trying to become get a get a job as a pilot or a co-pilot, and um, and so apparently while he was working on the as a steward, the his his friends right his uh, co-workers uh, called him. Oh, here we go, here we go. Uh, according to the um, Daily Mail, they said uh, Lubitz was reportedly the subject of gossip about his sexuality after a brief spell working as a flight attendant and was nicknamed Tomato Andy, a gay slur based on the fact that although many people believe tomatoes to be vegetables, they are actually fruits. So obviously not a nice thing to be called. Um, so bullying took part in this. So, but, but then you have to ask, so was that a part of it? Okay, he had a girlfriend of long standing. He was going to marry her. He got her pregnant. He had an affair with this flight stewardess. Um, but you know, but he was trawling gay porn sites. So was he having issues about his confusion about his sexuality? Uh, he didn't want to see that. He didn't want to see um, attractions that he was having towards men. Was that part of it? I mean, you know, picking have, if it ter- if it's true that his psychosomatic illness involved the eyes, um, it would be true that there was that would have come about because of something he didn't want to see. So, you know, that, that, uh, and the things, there could be other things that he didn't want to see as well that we don't even know about because apparently his family, we haven't, uh, I don't know how much his family has revealed to the authorities. Obviously, can you imagine, um, not only did they lose a son, but to find out, it, like in, at, one thing after the other to find out that his their son's plane crashed and and so his their son was dead and then to find out that he was responsible, I mean that is a parent's worst worst nightmare. 
So, um, you know, but certainly it, we, are there things that, uh, that they're feeling guilty about or things that they know about? Um, I, it's just, it's, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to pick apart somebody's life and like I just did in analyzing him by putting him on my couch. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it seems like you're doing something wrong. But on the other hand, um, a pilot is a job. It's not like somebody who's work, whose job doesn't involve uh, the responsibility for the lives of others. Yes, there is confidentiality. Doctors are not supposed to. Uh, well, there are varying laws about about what doctors are supposed to and not supposed to tell in terms of confidentiality. And German law, laws are apparently very strict about this. And um, there is uh, there there are um, criminal punishments both if you tell something and you you break confidentiality, and if you don't tell and people get hurt. So, you know, perhaps that's explaining, can explain in part why some of the doctors, you know, why it might be hard to get all of the information from the doctors who wrote the sick notes. But, but um, certainly uh, there should be, I mean, yes, of course, you want patients, and as a psychiatrist, you know, if people are going to be afraid that you're going to tell other people, um, they're not going to come to a psychiatrist or come to any doctor and reveal their fears or reveal what's going on in their life. So there's that balance that has to be balanced. But on the other hand, if you know that somebody um, has a problem, a physical or mental problem, that puts a whole plane of passengers at risk, at imminent risk. I mean, he got the sick notes. Whoever, whoever the doctors were who wrote those sick notes, they gave him the sick notes for a reason, and it wasn't for a cold. And so shouldn't they have reported to somebody uh, or made sure that he gave the notes to somebody um, and made sure that he wasn't flying? Do they share some of that responsibility? Is it fair to blame it all on um, Andreas, or do these doctors share some of the responsibility for not taking the time or making the effort or, or, um, or taking the risk um, of, of making sure that they notify the authorities? I mean, who just gives a note to somebody and says, give this to your boss if it's something really serious? So I, my, I believe that the doctors should share, I mean, again, we don't know all the facts, but it seems from what I know, it seems to at what we all know at this point, it seems to me that the doctors should be sharing some of that responsibility. So this is, <laughs> this is the, uh, we need to come to uh, a close here. And um, again, I just hope that the results of all of this um, is for airlines to be much more careful in their screening of who becomes a pilot and in their constant monitoring, not just checking that somebody's heart is working, but that somebody's mind and uh, emotions are working as well. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.